Ecclesiastes chapter 7. If you need a Bible today, we can give you one of those in the back and, and just get your hand up in the air and we'll make sure to give you a copy of God's Word. There's a note page. Grab this note page if you would, please. That will be helpful as well. And church family, if you were with us last time, you might recall that we did step into the seventh chapter of Ecclesiastes today in our, in our study series through this amazingly unique book of the Bible. And I titled our talk last time, Road Signs for Life. And I'm going to explain why I gave that the title, if you weren't with us last time, why that is the title from last week. And I'll do that in just a moment. Before I do, though... I had a chance to go online this week and just do a simple search of highway road signs. And I thought you might like to see some of the road signs that I found in my search. Let's take a look at some of these. Sometimes these road signs will tell you exactly the way it is. (laughs) Cats have nine lives. You're not a cat. Buckle up, right? Or how about this one here? Absolutely nothing for the next 22 miles. And and then there'll be signs that'll tell you exactly the way it is, and then they'll laugh at you as they tell you the sign. You'll never get to work on time. Uh (laughs) Aha! There are signs that might make you reach for the lock button on your car. For example, hitchhikers may be escaping inmates bullet holes all over that sign. Yeah, you might get a little anxious about that. And, and then some signs can make you quite unsettled, like this one. <laughs> yeah, or, or how about this one? Suicidal deer. This, this is one where you just laugh. Could you, wouldn't you love to see that on the Idlewild Highways? That would be... That would be very cool, yeah. Some signs cause you to ponder and reflect when you read them. Speed bumps ahead when children are present. (laughs) Hmm, let me think about that one. Some are confusing. (laughs) They even tell you good luck, right? Or how about this one? (laughs) Crew... Cruise ship shoes, airport exit. And some are not very helpful at all. Oh, man. Could you make sense of that? Or, or how about this one as well? Major accident, left lane's closed, use left lane. <laughs> That's not going to do much for you, is it? Oh, man. Well, as we travel down... The roads and highways, we're constantly reading these road signs. And most of the time, they are helpful to us. We're better off, we're safer, we're more confident, more watchful, better informed with these road signs than we would be if we did not have them. Now, last time, as we came to chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes, I asked you to think about road signs. Chapter 7 is loaded with road signs, but road signs of a, of a different kind than the ones we were just looking at on the screen. God gave Solomon, we learned, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, a supernatural wisdom gift. And this gift enabled him to 
look at life with a, a rare kind of objectivity, discern truth from error in a given situation, and then write that down, write down the best course of action for handling that, that particular life situation. What he wrote down, we now call proverb statements, life truths that enable us to live better, safer, more wisely, more effectively, live in ways that work well for us, but also in ways that are honoring to God, if we take the Proverbs seriously. And so Proverbs are like road signs on life's highway, and they can be super helpful to those who have the wisdom to not only see them, but then apply what they have seen. So chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes is loaded with these proverb road signs. Last time when we stepped into chapter 7, I titled our study, as I mentioned a moment ago, Road Signs for Life. Today, I have come up with a really clever title for our study together this morning, More Road Signs for Life. Aren't you impressed with that thought? As each of us journey down life's highway, God has posted wisdom signs. Now, we have already looked at two from last week. Watch for falling character. That was one of the road signs we considered. And then hard times have the most to teach, so keep moving forward. Today, we come to a third road sign, and this one will be found in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 7. Solomon's admonition to... Turn in to a wise rebuke rather than turn away. Verse 5. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Solomon says, don't turn away from a wise rebuke. Turn into it and be better for having done so. We're all, we'll be better off, says the wisest person who ever lived, if we'll be willing to expect, accept a valid word of correction from someone in our circle. We're better off having someone get in our face, if necessary, and confront us on a matter than we would be if we just listen to the people who tickle our ears and tell us all the time those things that make us feel good. If someone cares enough about us to not allow some destructive or debilitating or handicapping issue in our life to go unaddressed and they bring it to us and then we turn into that correction, we're going to be better off, says verses 5 and 6. Solomon calls the fuzzy-wuzzy false flattery of someone whose only goal is to make us feel good He calls those the song of fools. He calls those words the song of fools. And brothers and sisters, if that is the fool's song to flatter us and not tell us the truth, what does it make the one who listens to that song? Makes him a fool too, doesn't it? A fool will not turn into a wise rebuke. Now, let me ask this question. How many of us like to be confronted? Show of hands. How many of us like to be called out? How many of us like to be corrected? No, there's no hands going up. Why is that? 
Because that's, not un- that's just not pleasant, is it? That's not a pleasant experience. How many of us like having someone tell us about us to us? We don't like that. Pointing out our hypocrisy or perhaps our lack of discipline or maybe our temper or our insensitivity or our neglect or, or some other sin. None of us like that experience. It's miserable. And while we may each react a little bit differently to a rebuke or constructive correction, some of us hurt, some of us cry, some of us sulk, and some of us get defensive, the truth is we, we rarely turn into a rebuke. Our first impulse is to turn away. But Solomon says the wise will turn in at that moment. Check out a few of Solomon's other road signs that he posts that have this same message. Proverbs 13, 18, there on your note page. He who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is what? Going to be honored. Going to be honored by God and going to be honored by others around as that happens. Or how about from Proverbs 15, 31 and 32? The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the who? The wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. You actually do great harm to yourself, Solomon says, when you turn away from a wise rebuke. There will be times when these rebukes will come from perhaps our mate, Others, well, maybe our coworker, a boss. Sometimes our closest friend might be the one who brings this rebuke. And the question is, will we receive it? Proverbs 27, 6, you know this proverb. I know you've heard this one. Faithful are the what? The wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Will we receive those wounds? The wise will, Solomon says. In posting this road sign, Solomon goes on in verse 6 to make a comparison. The fool's laughter and his flattering comments are like crackling thorns in a fire. Have you ever seen a tumbleweed burn? Yeah? If you've ever experienced that, it's kind of like a Roman candle goes up, right? When you light a tumbleweed. But it's, it's just this very momentary flash of, of fire and heat and poof. And then what? It's completely gone. If it lasts for 15 seconds, we're amazed. The one who won't tell us what we really need to hear is just like that, Solomon says. A flash of feel good with no enduring benefit. The moments in our lives that really help us, that, that, that really grow us or heal us or, or change us come when someone loves us enough to confront us and tell us the truth. Such correction endures. And Solomon says, you will be really wise if you turn in at that rebuke point and not away. May the Lord help us to do that because it doesn't come naturally, right? May we be wise here at IBC. Well, as we continue to travel down life's highway, we start to climb a hill, and as we do, another sign appears. 
It reads, this heart not for sale. It's verse 7. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the what? It corrupts the heart. In other words, a difficult or challenging or oppressive situation might compel someone to do something that they never would have thought they would do, but they were pressured on into doing it. And a bribe can do that very same thing to the heart, says Solomon. A bribe can corrupt the heart and cause it to move in directions that nobody would have ever thought it would go in. I can still remember the day that I discovered quite by accident as a little boy that a compass can be affected by a magnet in a damaging way. Now, I had come by a cheap little compass, and and I was carrying it in my pocket, and in the same pocket was a small magnet that I had retrieved from a toy car motor. So when I went into my pocket to retrieve the compass, to my surprise, out came this magnet stuck to the glass of the compass. Well, actually, the, the magnet had seized the metal needle of the compass through the glass. And I realized then, in that moment, that, that, that with that magnet, I could make north point anywhere that I wanted to. I didn't know that before that. I could make north go anywhere I wanted it to. Of course, I also discovered that, that my compass was now totally useless because the magnet had changed the magnetism on the needle. It's one of those really small but accidental but significant scientific discoveries that you make in your life right up there with Newton and his apple. You know that one of those kind. Well, Solomon is saying here in verse 7 that depending on what kind of magnet is being deployed, it is possible for a person's moral compass, their heart, to be directed in in another way from what it should be going, what it should be doing. And what is the magnet that turns the moral compass in an untrue direction? Well, Solomon says it's a bribe, the bribe. Now, when we hear the word bribe, we usually think what? Money. That's the first place we go with that word. But Solomon is purposeful here in not limiting it to that thought. Here the bribe could be anything, anything that might entice the heart to sell out. Something material perhaps could be money, but maybe it's a promotion, a bribe for a promotion, a a, a title that you might be given, a a power that you might be uh, given, esteem, acceptance. Anything that could turn the heart, corrupt the heart to give up what is true or right or honest or God-honoring could be a bribe. In Solomon's larger collection of road signs, which we call the book of Proverbs, he will say this in Proverbs 15, 27. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who, what's the next word? Hates bribes will live, will prosper, will do well. You hate bribes. You can't be bought. Your heart cannot be bought. You will live. In Exodus, as Moses receives God's instruction for Israel, the Lord says to his people, Exodus 23, 8, 
and you shall take no bribe. For a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. And then here is a revealing verse also from Proverbs. Solomon's observation, Proverbs 17, 8. A bribe is like a magic stone in the eyes of the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he prospers. Now here, Solomon isn't thinking about the one who takes a bribe. He's thinking about the one who gives a bribe, offers a bribe. And what he says is that person is amazed at how many will sell out their heart, sell their conviction for something offered to them. And so the briber thinks, I've got a magic stone here. Everybody buys in and he prospers. We've heard it said that every person has their price. You ever heard that expression? Sure you have. Solomon would say it differently, though, wouldn't he? He would say, every fool has their price. The wise have a heart that cannot be bought. This heart not for sale. May we heed that sign, brothers and sisters, in our day, because bribes are sure to come. Well, then, if you flip your note page over, not long after passing that road sign, we come upon another that looks like this. The end is better. Now, we pause beside this road sign and kind of stroke our chin wondering, I wonder, what, what, does, that, what does that mean? We've never seen this sign before. It's a sign that Solomon posts in the first part of verse 8 here in chapter 7. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. We look again at the sign and we say, what does he mean by that? Well, simply this, church family. When we arrive at the end of some issue or concern or responsibility or season in our life, be it a good season or a bad one, an easy time or a hard time, When we arrive at the end, we've arrived at what really is. Not what we suspect will be or wish could be or dreamed would be when we started. Before we arrive at the end of a matter, we have lots of holes in our thinking. Gaps without enough information. We lack experience. We, We have question marks and deficiencies. However, Solomon says, at the end of a matter, the whole truth is laid out in front of you. It's on display. We have what is real. We know the whole story as it really is. And Solomon says that's way better than living in the fog of something that isn't true. Those of us who have raised our children, just as a practical example, and now our children are grown and they're gone, they're out of our house, guess what? Now we are at the end of that hands-on parenting season in our life and we know some stuff, right? And if I'm describing you, haven't you said on more than one occasion, oh, if I'd only known back then what I know now about raising kids, I would have done some things differently, right? Why do we say that? Well, we say that because we have information at the end of the journey that we didn't have 
at the beginning. And that's why Solomon will say, the end is better. It's better. Granted, it may not be as blissful. It may not be as happy-go-lucky, since truth usually has harder corners than, than ignorance does. But it's way better. The Old Testament giant, Job, would certainly attest to the truth of this road sign. Job's story, as you know, finds him enduring a terrible season of loss and suffering in his life. Before that time, he thought that he had his life pretty well figured out, and he he thought he understood God pretty well. But at the end of this incredibly trying season, when he gets to the end of it, here's what he admits. Here's what he confesses to the Lord. Job 42, 5 and 6. I have heard of you by the hearing of of the ear. I, I had heard about you. But now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Job would say, the end is better. For now I know you, Lord, better and I know myself better. But that's at the end. The end is better. Now, if I could, for just a moment... Uh, just make a special appeal to those of you who are in this room right now who are younger. And I'll leave that for you to define what that means, younger, okay? I would speak to you and I would say to you who are younger in our church family, take this road sign seriously and tap into the tremendous resource that God has given you in the older folks who are a part of your church family. And I'll leave older folks undefined as well. But sitting next to you, sitting around you right now, are those who have been to the end in certain arenas of life. They're at the end. And they can bring reality and truth and insight and, and, and hand off some really hard-won, valuable information to you because you're still on the journey. You're not at the end yet. But if you're wise, you'll tap into that. Solomon would say, be a wise young person and invite that older person, that that older couple. uh, Take them to lunch. Have them over for dinner. Take them for coffee, whatever. Get time with them and mine the wealth of experience that they have acquired because they're now at the end. They've had the successes. They've had the failures. Tap into that. The end is better because it's it's what's real. And you want to be working with what's real. I want that. And then as this sign disappears behind us, a new sign comes into view. Solomon posts this one in the second half of verse 8 and in verse 9. Here's what he writes. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. So how does this road sign read, church? Slow to anger. Slow to anger. Now, I don't want a show of hands here, but do any of you ever struggle with anger? Do any of you? (laughs) And there was silence. 
Do you ever find yourself having a short fuse? Do you ever lose your cool? You know, there are some people who battle with this issue all of their life. Unable to reel in that anger that that can just seem to explode without very much provocation or warning. Years ago, there used to be an elderly gentleman, retired guy, long since has been away, a couple of decades since this fellow was here. He was part of our church family, and I came to value him so much because he was just so authentic. He was so real. What you saw was what you got. And he had a really thick southern accent, and and on almost any occasion when we would would have a gathering of some kind, like a life group or something else, and the opportunity was given to be able to pray. Well, this fellow would pray. And if he prayed, you can count on him to pray every time in his thick southern drawl these words. Father, please forgive me for my temper. Father, please forgive me for my temper. I never once saw that temper, but he apparently knew about it well. Solomon says the fool cannot control his temper. He or she runs ahead when slow or a patient response would be so much better. As a matter of fact, again, in the book of Proverbs, this whole arena of anger and impatience is a subject that that Solomon speaks to a lot. So here's just a few examples. We've got them on your page, but we'll put them on the screen as well. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Proverbs 16.32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Talking about being under control. How much better that is. Proverbs 14.29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. He's wise. But he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. How about Proverbs 15, 18? A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. You can be a bringer of peace. If you can just manage this part of our lives. And in the New Testament, James must have been reading these Proverbs shortly before he wrote his little letter because here's what he says in James 1, 19 and 20. And I know you know these words as well. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be... Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Brothers and sisters, James offers us a triple challenge in these verses. Slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. Did I get it wrong? Just checking. I was just checking to see if you were with me, right? Right? You're with me. But isn't this the way it is? Oftentimes, certainly more often than we would like or we would care to admit that we are slow to hear, we are quick to speak, and we are quick to become angry. 
And James says the very opposite is what we want to be striving for. An angry spirit on the inside cannot listen. An angry spirit can't control the tongue. Anger on the inside produces an ugly, unrighteous life. How far we fall short of what God would desire for us and what Jesus models for us when we blow past this road sign in our life. Slow to anger. Solomon goes so far as to say that we cannot entertain a hot temper and an angry spirit and be called a wise person. Those are the qualities of a fool, he says. Anger lodges in the heart of a fool. So so how can we take this road sign seriously? How can we address this issue in our life? Well, maybe it's as simple as this, church family. Regularly praying, Father, please forgive me for my temper. And Holy Spirit, make me more like Jesus. Yeah? Maybe it's as simple as that. Slow to anger. And then as we round the bend on life's highway, we encounter yet another sign. This will be the last sign for the morning. One that we have seen many times. Only this one is slightly different. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 10, Solomon writes, Say not... Why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. The sign reads, no U-turn. And then in smaller print, no U-turn to the what? The good old days. No U-turn to the good old days. Brothers and sisters, here Solomon addresses the person who is traveling down life's road and encounters difficulty, hardship, struggle, something. They encounter a bunch of potholes or broken pavement on the road of life. And they look back over their shoulder or they look in the rearview mirror as they're going down the road and they begin to reminisce about how smooth the highway seemed back there. Solomon has in view here the person who yearns for, is longing for the good old days. He says, don't be one of those people. Don't be them. Have you ever thought it strange that the good old days are always back there? Somewhere in the past are the good old days. They're never in the present. But then 20 or 30 years from now, these days are what? They're the good old days. They've magically become the good old days somehow, right? How did that happen? The days haven't changed. No, what has changed or what has happened is we forgot that in these days there were bills to pay and illnesses to deal with and loved ones who would die and and recessions and job uh, losses and unkind bosses and rising prices and crime and scandal and war. A couple of years ago, I had a chance to go back to my old neighborhood where I spent my years from ages 10 to 14 in Dallas, Texas. 
Those were happy days in my life. I would call them good old days. But as I drove down that street, and I hadn't been to my house in, I'm guessing, 30 years. I hadn't been to this, this house. This was my house. And it was a carport. It didn't even have that little add-on at the time. It was just a, a carport. But I remember driving down the street after 30 years of not being there, and it was amazing to me how much narrower those streets were than what I remembered them being at 10. When I was 10, I thought they were huge streets. The houses seemed really big when I was 10 years old. Now they're 900 little 900-square-foot cracker box tract homes. And as I drove down my street, there was the house where the bully lived. But I'd forgotten about the bully. He was, a, he was a mean kid. And there was where my brother blew up his hand, uh, was, was playing with a firecracker, and it went off in his hand. And I remember that. And, 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 and there's where the tree stood across the street from our house the night that a tornado just tore through our neighborhood and then ripped it right out of the ground. And the Vietnam War was going on at that time. Ah, the good old days. Right? Am I not right? Yeah. Today is today, right? Today is today. It's where we live. Uh, We're never going to be able to go back to yesterday. And verse 10 says, we're not being wise to wish we could do so. Truth be told, yesterday was hard too. We just forgot how hard. God is very much an up-to-date God. He is very much in the present with us and more than sufficient to deal with the issues that are in our life right now. Amen? Yeah. When we yearn for those good old days, when we want to make a U-turn and go back to another time, we're essentially making a statement about how we view our life in the moment. We're stuck. We're, we're, we're looking in the wrong direction. We should be looking this way, and we are looking that way. The Apostle Paul could certainly have been wishing for the good old days as he awaited trial in Rome for loving Jesus. The prospect was he could be executed. And who could fault him for longing for the good old days? But in Philippians chapter 3, he shares how his deepest longing is Jesus. And here's how he puts it. Philippians 3, 12 to 14. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. I don't look like Jesus yet. But I what? I press on. I go forward to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That is a great statement. That's what Brandon was talking about at communion time. We we are owned by Jesus. Yeah? Make Jesus my own. He makes me his own. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm looking ahead, he says. The last thing the Apostle Paul wanted was to to go backwards and do something less than what he had in Jesus in the present and held to be so precious 
and filled with hope. No looking over his shoulder for Paul, nor for us, brothers and sisters, nor for us. Amen? Yeah. Solomon is essentially saying, wherever you are, be all there. Be all there. Paul was all there. Wisdom lives in the present and has no interest or desire in making U-turns. And so may it be so for us, having placed our faith in the Lord Jesus, faith in his, his death on the cross for our forgiveness, his resurrection from the dead for our life, sufficient for our past, strong for our present, and secure for our future, may we be all here, right, all the time. Five road signs worth our attention and care. Turn into a wise rebuke. This heart's not for sale. Can't be bought. The end is better. Tap into that seasoned saint. They've been where you want to go. So don't don't miss that opportunity. Slow to anger and no U-turns. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the practical nature of of what we've shared together today. You just speak right into our lives. And this is where we do life every day. And and these are road signs that will really help us. Help us to, to pay close attention to them, not just to hear them or to look at them, but to do them. And we would just confess to you that we can't do that in our own strength or power. We need your spirit to help us apply these road signs to our lives. So thank you in advance for doing that for us. Every one of us in this room have been touched by at least one road sign today because that's just the nature of living in a fallen world and not yet being like Jesus. So thank you for helping us to do life with you. Lord, we love you. We love your son, Jesus. We love your spirit at work in us. But all of that only because you have loved us first. All glory be to you as we, we head out into a new week, not looking over our shoulder, but looking forward with you. And all God's people said, amen and amen.